Philippians chapter 1 is where we will begin this morning. We're going through the book of Philippians. So I used to collect coins as a kid. There wasn't a lot of screen time in my house, so we found other ways to entertain ourselves. And uh, it was actually my older brother who collected coins, and I got roped into his operation. And if you have older siblings that you just sort of did their bidding, I mean, he just roped me into what he was doing. Um, and here was a good time for us. There used to be a bank, now defunct, called Great Western Bank. It was at the corner of Saratoga Avenue and Prospect Road. That's where I grew up, kind of West San Jose. And a good time for us on a Saturday would be to ride our bikes to Great Western Bank and take a perfectly good roll of pennies or nickels and turn them into the bank teller and request a different roll of pennies and nickels. And this would often confuse bank tellers because they thought, well, what's wrong with the ones that you have? But we were on the hunt. We were looking for good coins. And so we would spend our time unrolling the new roll of pennies or nickels and be hunting for them. What are good coins? Wheat back pennies. That was a, that was a treasure. We'd find one of those. There used to be, there's probably still out there, but nickels that were actually made of silver. We would look at the dates and we would sort them all. Who knows where all those coins are? All that hard work, poof, gone. Um, and here's the truth. We would have traded all the money that we owned. We were both paper boys. We would have traded all the money that we owned had we found that right coin. If there was that one rare coin, we would have given everything we had for that one coin. Later on in life, I would learn about a story that Jesus told that related that to Christianity, to my faith. I have a coin in my pocket here, and I am prepared to give it away. Does anyone want it? Okay. We have, we have Cole here who's going to, why don't you stand up, Cole? Um, so this is, uh, this is a dollar coin that I have in my, in my pocket. And, uh, Cole, let me ask you, do you, do you prefer, do you prefer heads or tails? I have no. You have no preference. Okay. How good are you at flipping coins and calling the right, uh, the right, you know, the right side? Yeah. About 50%. Okay, that's pretty good. He's done, he's done some extensive research. Now, um, I'm going to give you this coin, but you have to get three correct answers. Okay? So here you go. You take it, and you flip it, and I will verify uh, what it is. So you've got to call it in the air. That's the challenge. Okay, heads. And he does the flip over. And it's heads, so that's one. Okay? Let's see it. Okay, he even caught it that time. Okay, it's heads again. So you got one so far. Keep going. Okay. Heads again. Okay. Someone with someone good with Matt is already watching his percentage go. Keep going. Yep. Heads. Okay. That's two right. So one more and you get to keep that. Oh, you forgot to call it. Oh, did you? Did you call tails? Okay. Okay. Heads, okay, give it up, give it up. <clears throat> All right, that's, I was going to say that's the easiest way to earn a buck, but maybe that was a little bit challenging. Um, all right, I actually have another coin in my pocket. Anyone want the, the other coin? Anyone? <laughs> we got... All right, Dean in the very back. I, it couldn't be someone in the first few rows. You guys wanted to give me a workout. Okay, so Dean, you get to just flip it. Uh, all you need is one right. Can you get one right? What is your percentage of... of... I have no idea. Okay, let's flip it and call it in midair. We'll go, we'll go tails. 
Okay, tails. What is that? That's tails. Give it up. First time. Okay. I actually have one more coin in my pocket. And here's the rule on this one. If you can hold it, you can have it. Anyone want this? Okay. His hand shot right up. He's like, I'm not working for it. Do you know how to hold a coin? You don't know how to hold a coin? No, there isn't. Just, you got it. Give it up for Jake. All right. Now, some of you in your heads are like, that's totally unfair. He had to totally work for it. He had to sort of work for it. And he just had it handed to him. Another Jesus story talking about the kingdom of God. Here's where I'm going with all this coin discussion. This morning, what I want to relate uh, the, the idea to you is this. Can we bring that first slide up? There it is. Um, that the gospel, I want you to consider the gospel a little bit like a coin. All three of these gentlemen, I have me all three guys this morning, all three gentlemen received a gift from me that none of them expected when they walked into this place. They didn't come in expecting to make money at church. That's not their normal thing. But I was handing them a coin, and with that coin, they received a coin with both heads and tails. It had two sides to it. And to receive the coin is to receive it in its entirety. And what I want to relate to it is this, that there are parts of the gospel. There are parts of this relationship with Jesus that we really, really like. I don't know that we have a preference of heads or tails, but in gospel living, in relating to Jesus in our faith, we say there are parts we really, really like. We click with it. We love it. We love sermons on that. But isn't it true that there's a flip side to it? There are parts of reading through the scriptures that you go, I just don't like this part. I just want this out of my Bible because I don't relate with this. There are things we learn about Jesus, learn about what he's called us to do, learn about doctrines of the church. And we go, is that really true? That rubs against me. And the way the gospel is, is it's handed to you in its entirety. Would you agree that making the team has some really good parts to it? Yeah, it's, it's fun to be chosen for the team and you make the team. Are there some difficult things to being on a team? Absolutely, of course there are. There's a lot of challenges that come with that. Some of you are married in here. Some of you hope to be married one day. Being entrusted with a spouse, hear me, is a really, really, really good thing. There are parts that you just love. It's just so easy. It comes so naturally. You're like, oh, I love this part. We celebrate all those at Valentine's Day. It's okay to say this. No nudging of elbows. But are there hard parts to being entrusted with a spouse? And the church said, amen. Like a hearty amen, right? There's a hearty amen to all the good. There's a hearty amen to the difficulty. So it is with Jesus. Jesus uses that same kind of language. There's a certain team aspect to being a follower of, her, of his. He's our coach. There's a certain marriage aspect. He actually calls the church his bride. And we, and we receive this offer from Jesus, this proposal, as it were, and it comes with multiple sides. We take the good with the bad. This is the life that God created. This is the life God gifted to us. The gospel completely transforms us. I want you to know this morning, my son and I walked in and what we prayed over this place is transformation. God, would you meet us in a special way and would you transform this place for us? I just said a greeting to a gentleman who's sitting here in this room. He said, this, these four walls contain so much love. 
This is just such a warm place. And I said, isn't that true? It is for me too. I'm so excited 17 years into this journey at this church to just say that's true. And the reason is, is because the people that fill these walls, the spirit of God that fills this place, that's what's happening. So the gospel transforms us. It shapes our lives and is on our lips. We've been talking about it this way. We translate our life and then we testify to what's going on. We look at Paul, the example, he's in jail. He says, what really is going on is serving to advance the gospel. So he's translating the circumstances of his life and he's opening his mouth to testify about it. This is what it means to be a witness. If you are a Christian in here, a Christ follower, a true believer, then you are engaged in a kind of conflict that is not true of non-believers or fake Christians. A fake Christian is just someone who just gives kind of lip service to it. They just sort of do it socially. And the reason I bring this up is because today this text is going to lead us in equipping us, probably by way of reminder for most of you. I don't think this is brand new information, but it will equip you in how to engage in the conflict of what it means to follow Jesus. In your notes, if you're taking notes, I kind of broke it down this way. We're going to take just a couple minutes to talk about conflict. What does it mean to suffer for Jesus as opposed to all other kinds of suffering that there is? And then we're going to spend the bulk of the time just sort of in the text saying, how do I actually do this? All right, so here we go. Why all the conflict? Where does conflict come from? Here's the answer. The answer is this. There are competing worldviews of people on this planet. Your neighbors, your family, your friends, your coworkers, people from one country to another, there are competing worldviews. And here's the tricky part of that. Worldview can sound really abstract, but it's actually very, very practical. It's very boots on the ground. It affects everything you do. In fact, let me say this. Every belief we hold, every issue that we consider, every topic that we discuss, and every value that we place, is an extension of our worldview. That's really practical. Every topic you discuss, every issue, every value, every belief, those all flow from a worldview. What's challenging, though, is we sort of forget that, we're, that we have a worldview that we're sort of processing this through. Most conflict you have is with other people and the clash of their worldview. The thing with the worldview, it's like forgetting that you're wearing glasses. Those of you who wear glasses and are looking for your glasses, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you are starting to do that. I'm reaching that age. You forget you're even looking through a lens. That's what a, that's what a worldview is. It's so close to you, you forget that you're looking through it. And so in your mind, this is just the way things are. Can you guys track, just sort of nod your head if you can track conversations you've had with family members and, and you're just talking past each other and this is ringing true right? This whole idea of worldview. So what I want to put out with worldview is this. It's just really worthwhile to keep considering worldview when you are engaged in the kind of conflict that Christianity brings on. I used to work a lot with international students. One of my favorite things was grabbing a kid or two and going to San Francisco airport, and I would meet international students once they arrived in the U.S., And what I found was this really interesting thing that the first person an international student 
meets in the U.S., the first person that befriends them, they imprint on them like a little dinosaur at Jurassic Park or like a duck or something. Like they become friends for life. And I have students that still reach out to me and we talk and we sort of connect. And the only reason is I stood there with a sign that said, you know, the person's name that I couldn't pronounce. And we would drive home. I'd drive them to their family's house in Fremont or wherever I would go. Here's the thing with international students, super easy open door, because I planned on them thinking and believing and practicing different than me. So I would ask them questions because I was curious. What do you guys believe in that country about this? How do you celebrate this? What do you think on this topic? Hey, we are really fighting about this in the U.S. What do you guys think about it? And here's what I planned. I planned on them being very, very different from mine. Their worldview was very different. Always. Here's the tricky part. People who look like me, people who live where I've lived, people who went to the same school or church as I, I plan on them thinking and processing the same as me. But guess what? Oftentimes, they are vastly different. It's as foreign to them, the way I'm processing situations, as that international student and I, but we're not seeing it, and so we're sort of talking past each other. So just keep worldview in mind as we move forward with all this conflict. Let me toss out two lies that you may have believed. Lie number one is this, that I will have conflict or I won't. In this life, I will have conflict or I won't. The truth is, hear me clearly, you will have conflict. You cannot steer your life to a conflict-free life. So following Jesus is not the end of your battles. It's just the beginning of new battles. We all had battles going into following Jesus. We have new battles once we begin to follow Jesus. Now, think about the battles and think about the enemies that you have. Some of them are external, other people and their worldviews and conversations. But many of our conflicts are internal, aren't they? So it keeps us up at night. We're laying there, we're tossing and turning, we're thinking, we're mulling over. So there's always going to be conflict. It's just a matter of what kind. We talk about baptism sometimes. You know, we've had 11 baptisms so far in the year 2024. Isn't that amazing? Like we just celebrate that. That's worth clapping for. We just celebrate that. Every time we talk about that, we say, man, what you are doing, this is how we talk about it in baptism class. You are pulling on the Jesus jersey. Like you are saying, I am bluntly and publicly and forever on this team And that immediately signifies teammates, and it immediately signifies opponents who are against you. And so when you pull on the Jesus jersey, when you are open with your faith and public with your faith, you will have conflict. So don't live your life to avoid conflict. Here's lie number two. Lie number two is I can get through life without much suffering. The truth is... We all suffer much. Let me give you some uh, categories. The only question is whether we suffer now or later. The only question is whether we suffer for a short time or a long time. The only question is whether we have light or heavy suffering. The only question is whether we suffer for good or suffer for sin. What I'm talking about is the biblical description of what suffering looks like. Don't you remember that we are told that any suffering that we experience in this life is light and momentary compared with what? Compared with the reward of being with Jesus for eternity. We're going to look back and say, whatever it costs us here right now, we're going to look back and go, man, that was nothing. That was chump change. Pennies. I don't care about that. 
It was all so worth it. So let me tell you, the own, like, like its own little prison is to navigate our life so that we avoid conflict and avoid suffering. I think unless you're a psycho in here, none of us love conflict and love suffering, right? That's not normal. We don't want to find suffering. We don't want to find conflict. But you try to live your life to avoid those things. That will be its own kind of prison. It will be its own kind of internal suffering and conflict. All right. Let me read the passage uh, that we're in. We're, we're looking now at the last few verses of, of this chapter, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. And it says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So reminder, Paul is writing to reassure his Christian brothers and sisters, this church family that he loves, that he started this church in Philippi. He's writing to reassure them. Basically saying, it's all good. It's all good. My situation is as dire as ever. He's not in prison for a traffic fine. He's in prison facing death row simply for believing and preaching the truth. Why? Clash of worldviews. Paul says this man, Jesus, was dead. Now he's alive. He's the ruler of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords. This is the promised Messiah. Clash of worldviews. Other Jews say, that's not true. Get this guy in prison. Rome says, wait, another king besides Rome? You're not submitting to Rome? You're in prison. That's it. Plain and simple. He's engaged in a conflict because he's living for the truth. And he's reassuring his Christian mates saying, hey, things are good. Genuinely, the gospel's going forward. So what is suffering for Jesus as opposed to all other kinds of suffering? I'm not going to spend much time here because this is a really, really giant topic. But suffering for Jesus, suffering for the sake of the faith is a unique subset of suffering. Like suffering is just a giant topic that we all wrestle with and struggle with and navigate in life. But this idea of walking worthy of Jesus it sort of tips our hand at what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about suffering for Jesus, suffering for the sake of the gospel, it's this little subset. Verse 27 in the New Living Translation says it this way. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. Two reasons I like this particular translation on this verse is when you get into the idea of a manner worthy of the calling, it's talking about, it's sort of political language. It's citizenship language. Above all says you must prioritize this. Whatever else you're doing, you must be concentrating on your behavior. Here's the question for you and I. Do we behave what we believe? 
right? Do we actually live out what we say that we believe? If we do, we will be engaged in the same conflict Paul is in. That's what he's saying. It's been gifted to you, a coin handed to you, with both belief in Jesus and suffering for Jesus. Now question, how many sermons and books do you see on, it's been gifted that we believe in Jesus? It's like way up here, the number of sermons and topics and books and all that. How many on, and it's been gifted that you suffer for Jesus? Man, in our Western American affluent uh, society, very few. But I think this passage, I think this sermon is really, really applicable for every Christian in 2024 in the Bay Area. This is my home. I've been born and raised here. And so to be born and raised and actually following Jesus means you suffer for Jesus. It means you're engaged in conflict. So how do we enter into that? Think about a believer. A believer actually follows. If Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, we could say we believe, but if we actually believe, we go, okay, we get up and follow, just like the first disciples did. You could go back to your point of decision and say, I, I said I believed a long time, but when I actually believed is when I got up and followed him. And if we're following Jesus, think about this, where did Jesus's life on earth lead him? It led him outside the city to a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. What was that place? That was the place they killed criminals. So when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, it stands to reason that the place he is leading us to is Golgotha. It's our own death. It's our own ramped up. If you read the Gospels, there's just this ramped up criticism and then scowling and then physical abuse and then death sentence placed on Jesus Christ. And he bids us to follow. He bids us to take up our cross and follow. The cross of Christ has always had enemies and always had friends. Our own crosses of Christ, we had three crosses out here until a couple of weeks ago. We don't know if someone took up literally the thing of take up your cross and follow me and someone just stole it for that reason. If you see a guy walking around with a cross about that size, just, you know, bless him. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know what you do. It is interesting. They didn't take the Jesus cross. The Jesus cross is always in the middle. So it's one of the thieves. I don't know who took it, but someone took it. Those three crosses are a really, really powerful thing. Many Easter mornings, I have come out here and I've seen uh, Steve Donato for years. He's the one who built those. He just he would drape the color, the, the, the appropriate um, color of cloth as we sort of lead up to Easter. And first thing in the morning, it's, it's barely sunrise. And I, I've got so many great pictures over the years of just those crosses and just how powerful it is. I've pulled in late at night, early in the morning, middle of the day, and people are there at the, at the crosses just praying. And it's just sweet. I just, just usually I, I ignore them and, and kind of go in. I'm just celebrating. I celebrate that they're there. But the cross has always had enemies as well. True story. I pulled in one time. I think it was around dusk. I'm not sure why I was coming back to the church. Maybe youth group, maybe something else. But I came pulling in. And as I drove by, I thought, did I just see what I see? And so I parked. And what flashed in my head is I thought I saw someone urinating on the cross. And sure enough, as I got out of my car to sort of go and engage this person, he was walking away, fixing up his pants. 
And I thought, wow, what a powerful symbol that people would come and with tears in their eyes, people have left flowers at the cross. They've done all kinds of things to this symbol. And then people have come and seen fit to urinate on the cross. And I just thought, Lord, there it is. That's, that's what we are doing here as Neighborhood Bible Church. We are a visible representation. We are citizens of a kingdom of heaven. And we are both being peed on and prayed, prayed, you know, this, this place. And now people are stealing crosses. So I, it's just, it's just wild. But that's the, that's the visible thing going on. To follow is to suffer and engage in conflict. There's really, really good news that comes with this command. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You know what that means? It means that you're able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That's really, really good news. There's a gospel message implanted in this. God's a good father, so he doesn't give us commands that are outside of our ability. So how, what does that mean? That means you can transform. The bad behavior that bears a bad witness on what you believe can change. By the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are transformed. That's what's so powerful. Some take the grace of God, and they want to say the grace of God lowers the standard so I don't have to live up to what God's moral law demands. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the grace of God empowers us to live as God would have us live. Little by little, day by day, growth by growth. That's the process of sanctification, Christ being formed in us. So how do we actually do this? The text gives us three things that are so powerful. These are three essentials for, I'm going to use this term, engaged sufferers. It's been gifted to us, here's a coin, Cole, with heads and tails, to believe and also to suffer for Jesus. It's been gifted to you, here you go, Dean, with both belief and suffering. Here you go, Jake, belief and suffering. It's true for every Christian. It's been gifted to us. It's actually gifted or granted to us, not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. So as we look at that, I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. That's what we just saying. This, this text gives us some like, mm, okay, I've got feet to it now. I understand what that means instead of just wishful thinking. I won't fear. I won't fear. We cross our fingers. We flip coins. We do all kinds of crazy things. Instead, guys, no, let me equip you with three actions. And with each of these actions, there's a temptation. There's a very specific way you will be tempted to disengage in the conflict, to take the belief heads without the tails, suffering, and to sort of start trying to manipulate the way God has it. All right, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is to stand firm like a soldier holding a line. Don't budge. When it comes to believing and suffering, don't budge. Verse 27 talks about one spirit. When you go to a guest house, an Airbnb, or someone's house, or a church, or whatever, you're looking oftentimes for a Wi-Fi network, right? And if everyone's connected to that network, there's all this equal access to everything. So you can print from here. You can do all kinds of things once you're on the network. There's a certain sense the Holy Spirit is gifted to every single believer and as connected into the Holy Spirit, or more properly, God making his home in us. That means that we have a united spirit with other Christians. 
Some of you had the privilege of traveling the world and meeting believers from other places. I've met a few believers that are way older than me. They've never left their little city. And yet we sit there and we just talk about the glories of Jesus Christ. We talk about the beauties of the body of Christ as the church. We talk about the mission. We talk about temptations and all these things. And I go, man, they could be sitting in the Silicon Valley. In our, even though our lives are worlds apart, there's one spirit uniting us. Common passion, common drive, common grievances. That's evidence of the one spirit that we have. There's a common commitment and drive because we are home to God's spirit. When Paul writes one mind and one spirit, he's pairing these together to say this, that with all that we are, do this, stand firm. One mind means we're committed to know and live the truth. Hear me, friends, doctrine matters. You want to know what informs your worldview? It's doctrine. What's the basic nature of God? Is he good or not? Is he powerful or isn't he? Does he exist or is he a figment of our imagination? Is he unchanging or does he change depending on the person and culture and year? These are really important questions. This isn't hard to see, but what's the nature of mankind? That's, that's being just thrown wide open right now. What is the nature of mankind? It's always been in flux, but these are doctrinal matters that really are important. Right thinking is vital. So what's the temptation that comes with not budging, with standing firm? Here it is. It's giving way. Giving way on a position. Giving way in a relationship. Giving way to the truth. Now let me clarify this. When I say give way, I do mean this. Don't be pushed around. Don't think that following Jesus means he was a doormat that just was a sort of a yes man to everyone. That's not how you get killed. That's how you either rise in the ranks and get celebrated or you just stay in that safe middle and no one really pays attention to you. Do people still pay attention to Jesus? Absolutely. Does Jesus still strike really strong positive and negative reactions? Absolutely. People will pee on it or people will praise it. So Jesus creates all this strong reaction. Why? Because he stood firm. Stood firm for the truth. He didn't cave to all these different things. There's a lot of work to do here. When I say don't give way in what you know is right, catch this, that means there's work required by you to figure out what's right. What is absolutely right? What's true on this matter? There's work for you to do. There's work for the preachers and teachers to do, no doubt. But each Christian is to wade in and wrestle with these things and actually wrestle them to the ground and say, no, no, this is my conviction. This is what the scriptures say. And hear me really clearly. There are closed-hand issues and open-hand issues in the scripture. You need to sort through what those are. Some people take every single thing they've ever been taught and hold it as absolute doctrinal, unchanging truth. One of the beauties, I've only been a part of three churches in my entire life, but one of the beauties of going to three different churches and being raised in a Bible college that had people from all over the world is it began to expose, man, some of these things I thought were gospel truth. That was just my pastor's preference. That was just my church's way. That's not gospel truth. So I have to wrestle through those things. 
What we're doing here on Sunday, by the way, is an ongoing little by little training for these kinds of things. As I bring up topics, you go, is that really good? Dave said it's good. He sort of looks like he drew it from the text, but I don't know. I've heard that that's really bad. Hear me, wrestle that to the ground. You do your own research. I always try to provide all kinds of counter verses and things that I'm thinking about. But the Bible text is alive and well for you to read. You have not only permission, but the command to go and study it. As a pastor, I'm called to do what Titus 2.1 says, to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Does this line up with what is true? If so, let it be spoken. Now, some of you might say, sweet, I get to go through life demanding my way, never budging on anything. Uh, No. That's actually not what that means. In any way, shape, or form, that's not what that means. We had a two-week series. We changed our name officially years ago. We had a two-week name change from Neighborhood Bible Church to Neighbor-Pleasing Bible Church. Neighbor-Pleasing Bible Church. Here's where we got it from. We got it from Romans 15. Romans 15 says this. In every way, please your neighbor in every way for building them up in the Lord. You know what that means? That means actually that you will give way on a ton of topics. Many, many things you will give way. You will lay your life down in, in, in favor of another because there will be times when your neighbors say, hey, I want to be pleased in this way. And here's the line. You go, nope, I can't cross that. Brother, sister, neighbor, hear me. I plead with you to come over on this side. This is the safe side of, of that of that issue. I will not budge on that. So when it says to stand firm, like soldiers holding a line, man, you stand firm on that line. And don't make every single issue that line, because it's not. That's where a lot of this is going on. People talking past each other, people hearing, that's what those Christians think and all that. They've never met a Christian that has a clear definition of, no, this is worth dying for. All this other stuff, man, I'll chit-chat and talk with you about that, but I want to please you in every way to draw you into these most important things. Here's the second one, also in verse 27. Strive together. Stand firm and strive together. Like athletes on a team, work together. Man, we see this in every sport. It takes the whole team striving together. If you're ever watching a football game or something and you see teammates arguing on the sidelines, Kelsey, coach, right? If you see things going on like that, sometimes you go, that might be the beginning of the end for that team. You see argument going on like that, man, that's, that's when things often go really, really bad for that team. Here's the temptation. The temptation is to fight with other believers instead of alongside other believers. Fighting with other believers instead of fighting alongside. It's not hard to find examples of this. Christian bashing, by the way, is a favorite pastime of influencers. A lot of people get a lot of followers, a lot of likes and hearts because they bash the things of Christ. Here's a little food for thought. When opponents are right about what they are talking about, don't minimize the sin. Don't side with the Christians. Begin a conversation that says, that's not real Christianity. I'm with you on that one. 
That's wicked and God hates that. And I have a Bible chapter and verse that tells me very explicitly that's right or wrong. I'm with you on that. Some people take up the defense of all things in Christendom for all time, for everyone who names themselves a Christian. And they're defending believers who are fakes. They're not disciples of Jesus. They're not preaching the good news of Jesus. They're off on all kinds of craziness. So when they get something right, agree with them. Don't excuse or shift the blame. That actually highlights the importance of the truth of this passage, that it matters to God how we live. So what you're talking about and exposing that, let me tell you as a Christian, that's one of my great weeping moments. That's what I pray about. That breaks my heart because I know it breaks God's heart. Don't fight every fight. Fight the good fight. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? What's common in both sides of that phrase is the word work. It really does take effort. Anyone just spend the weekend with their family, their roommate, their coworkers, their classmates? Staying together takes work. Otherwise, more people would stay together. Churches split and families split and nations split and all kinds of things go on. Why? Because it's hard. It's really hard to work together. Here's a little question for you. Side eye or straight eye? I think if you are, I think if you are straight eye focused and you are together with people passionately focused on a mission, you actually won't have time to be doing this all the time. Looking to your left, looking to your right, judging what they're doing or, or, or not doing, judging their lifestyle. Why? Because you've exhausted yourself for things that you know matter first. Some of you know what this is like, man. When you, when you get yourself in a, in, a, in a position, you go, man, there's probably all kinds of things I used to worry about, I would have bickered about. We didn't because we were achieving something that was significant. That's what it looks like to strive together. It gives you one more. It says, don't fear. So like citizens of, with a powerful backing, remain confident. Look at verse 28. Uh, 28. And not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Philippi was a little mini outpost of Rome. It had the backing of Rome. And so how much more us citizens of heaven, having the backing of God himself to remain confident. If you're a little Roman outpost, you had the same friends of Rome. You also had the same enemies of Rome and you had Rome's backing. What a beautiful picture of a church in Silicon Valley. That's us. If we reset our expectations about conflict and suffering, we go to Jesus and he says, I chose you out of the world. And because of this, the world hates you. Paul affirmed this. He said, through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. That's from the book of Acts. And Peter said, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Remember, we say this all the time. Do not go looking for trouble, Christian. Never. Follow Jesus. I promise you, trouble will find you. It just stands to reason. If the whole world is going away from Jesus and you repent and you turn around and you're walking towards him, you're annoying people as they're bumping into you. And so they're just giving you looks and little side-eye glances. But then eventually they will really be mad at you if you open your mouth and say, you're going the wrong way. Follow me as I follow Christ. That will bring trouble on you. 
You don't need to look for trouble. It'll come towards you. And the command in Scripture is don't be afraid. Don't be frightened by, in, in any way by your opponents. He talks about this two-way sign. To your opponents, it's, it's destruction. It makes sense. If you are going this direction and they're all preaching this direction, it's not just that they're wrong. It's that their wrongness leads to death. That's what keeps prompting, prompting me to engage in conflict when I hate conflict. I don't like conflict. But their wrongness is actually leading them to a place of death. Paul gets so fired up about this in this letter alone. He calls false teachers dogs, evil workers, and enemies of the cross. If you flip it around to say, how is it a sign to you? It's a sign of your salvation. Here's the point. You're on the right track. If you have opponents as you follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it means you're on the right track. They wouldn't oppose you if you were just going along with what they said. Remember Jesus' words, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Here's the temptation with fear. Ready? The temptation with fear is this, to accept the plea bargain of popularity. Hey, there's a get out of jail free card for you. It's shut your mouth. It's don't post that. It's don't counter the culture. Just go along with it. The plea bargain of popularity says, hey, you're home free if you'll just knock it off. Be a Christian, but not that much of a Christian. I had that in the first two years of my becoming a, a real Christian at age 17. I had family members and friends going, don't become one of those kind of Christians. Just be a little Christian. I'm like, I can't help it, man. It's pedal the metal. It's all or nothing. I want to close with an illustration because it's so powerful and so timely. It's from a national publication, a World Magazine article from January 17th, 2024. So just a couple weeks ago. What I want to do is I just want to read you some excerpts from it because it's so fitting for this passage. It says this. It's a little bit long, so just kind of track with me. Okay, I'm going to put a few quotes on so you kind of track with what it is, but just sort of settle your brain into reading an article this long into this long. Here we go. Among 2023's religious freedom highlights, student athletes deserve special mention. Sports tests character on and off the field. For FCA student leaders in California's San Jose School District, that character was tested and confirmed during a multi-year challenge. The facts of the case show that FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, student leaders exhibited remarkable courage and integrity in the face of tremendous animosity. FCA had been active at San Jose's Pioneer High School for almost two decades without any complaints. Then in April 2019, the student group was derecognized for uh, just two weeks after a teacher took issue with the FCA statement of faith and conduct that the group's student leaders are to affirm. That teacher posted the FCA statement in their classroom and wrote to the principal expressing his disapproval. And the principal wrote back, uh, or the two, the the. the principal wrote that they were not willing to enable this kind of religious freedom anymore. Goes on to say this, then the school district stripped FCA of its status as a recognized student group. The club kept meeting, but hostility toward it only became more direct. 
Students formed a satanic temple club as a mockery and organized disruptive protests of SCA meetings throughout the 2019-2020 school year. After a year of ongoing antagonism, FCA and the two female students then leading the campus FCA club asked federal court to weigh in. In September 2023, so a handful of months ago, the Ninth Circuit ruled that the San Jose School District had violated FCA's religious freedom and directed the district to reinstate the student group. In FCA versus San Jose USD, the appeals court noted that the anti-religious hostility shown by the public school officials toward FCA students could be considered even more egregious than the animus directed toward Colorado baker Jack Phillips, which you may remember years ago wouldn't bake a cake um, for a homosexual couple wanting a same-sex union. He wrote, this holds particularly true when bearing in mind the hostility here is directed not against adult professionals, but at teenage students. The article closes with this. It says, FCA versus San Jose is an important victory for religious liberty. The decision upholds the freedom of religious student groups. For these outcomes, we can thank two courageous young women who as high school leaders of their campus, FCA, stood their ground against intimidation and helped strengthen protection for our first freedom on behalf of us all. Um, We have, uh, I was hoping we'd have both. I don't know where Sadie is. Is Is Sadie serving? Can someone go get Sadie really quick? Minnie, can you step in and get her? This would have been good to plan ahead. Just, I mean, she's always in church unless she's serving. Um, here's what I'm going to do. Um, these ladies didn't ask me to do this. In fact, they probably don't want me doing this. But we have those two female students that this article is talking about sitting in our church this morning. And nowhere else that I can think of in society will applaud them for them holding true and holding the line and striving together aside from this place. So when Sadie walks in the door, Cassie, um, I'm going to have you stand in just a second. Uh, But Cassie Carlson and Sadie Cook, two of our young ladies who walked through all of this with some amazing help from adult leaders um, in the area for FCA, walked through this court case And at every turn, we kept saying, Cassie, you don't have to do this. You can step back and not do this. But if the club didn't happen, this court case wouldn't have moved forward all the way up the way that it did. Um, So I'm hoping Sadie comes within the next five seconds because we need to move on uh, from this. Um, Let me just say this. Think about this. Gifted not only to believe, but to engage. And when you engage, you're going to suffer. There's going to be micro costs, little costs, and really big costs. Sadie Cook, would you come up here really quick? Um, Cassie, would you stand? Guys, give it up. All right. Um, Guys, Here's, here's what I hope. Here's what I hope lodges in your brain. I hope what lodges in your brain is that your church is behind you. And the Bible says this, that, um, that let your youth be an example to the rest of the body. You guys have been an example to me. You've been inspiring to me. Um, and we just applaud that. We applaud the mark of Jesus in your life. That's what we're celebrating. So thank you guys.
Yeah. Love you both. Come here, Sadie. <laughs> All right. Um, Les, can I get you to pass those bags for me right now? In preparation for communion this morning, um, we're going to do something a little bit different, and you're going to be holding something in your hand. Um, you know, not all of us will be called into a very specific fight that ends up making national news. By the way, World Magazine is a Christian organization, but I have many, many articles from the LA Times and many secular publications that that echo this same thing because it's on court record of how um, hostile the the school district was to um, to the simple statement of faith. And to see New Testament kinds of things going on um, in our day and age, doesn't it just appear it's just going to ramp up more and more? We're going we're gonna to line up with scriptures. We're going to see scriptures in a fresh way as we continue to walk forward in life as a Christian. We're going to see more and more of these things come to light and go, oh yeah, that's just like the early church. Here's proof positive that God sees us through. We have the gospel. You know how we got the gospel? It was handed to us by someone else who stood the test and stood firm. It was handed to them by other Christians who strove together and didn't budge. It was handed to them by other Christians who simply didn't fear what their opponents had. The early church is proof positive that God is with us in our belief and with us in our suffering. Each of you is to take one penny. I didn't say that either. Take a penny. Some of you are like, this is one of those churches that passes the offering bag twice. I thought about that. We've never done that in 17 years. I've never passed it around a second time. But this time we are, and you're getting a penny. So I want you to take this penny. I want you to hold on to it. Band, why don't you guys come on up? We're going to sing a song that's going to kind of prep our hearts for this. But I want to say this, that how you handle money, I know we're still getting them, but those of you who have it, take that penny in your hand for a second. How you handle money says a lot about you. The Bible talks a lot about this. But how you handle money not only says a lot about you, but your money actually preaches to you. This penny preaches to you. Let me tell you how. When you are holding this penny this week, maybe you put this penny somewhere you can see it. When you take this penny, you realize this was gifted to me unexpectedly, and it has two sides. And I don't get to take or pick which side. They both come with it. Everyone look at the heads for one second. On the heads part of this, it says, in God we trust. It has been gifted to you to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation alone. You're saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God to believe. Amen? Man, this, this belief is so valuable. Not for all the pennies in the world should you ever consider trading it. It's not worth it. It's a bad trade. So when you look at heads and you say, and and you see in God we trust, you remember belief has been gifted to you. Flip it over. On the back of your penny, just above that little building that you can't probably see, it says a Latin phrase that means this, one out of many. It has been gifted you, heads, to believe. It's been gifted you, tails, 
to suffer for Jesus' sake. Do you know how we're made one, brothers and sisters? By the suffering of Jesus Christ. He didn't suffer so that we wouldn't suffer. He suffered so that all of our suffering would be like his. It would be worth something. It would be valuable. It would be temporary. So we would get in on all of his reward. Out of the many, one. 